morning, church. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church, and um, it's great to have you guys. It's great to have you in worship this morning. If you guys would go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 15, we're going to continue our walk through John. The last uh, few weeks, we've actually been looking at uh, Jesus' farewell discourse. Um, this is the teaching that he does with his disciples the night uh, that he's going to be arrested. It began in the upper room, and it goes out, and he teaches as he's walking to the garden where he will be arrested. It's his final teaching before he is arrested, before he is tried, and before he is crucified. And he starts off his teaching as we looked at the first part of calming the hearts of his troubled disciples. As you can imagine, when they start to see what is unraveling, what is happening before their, their own eyes, their hearts become unsettled, their hearts become troubled. And Jesus begins this teaching with calming their hearts. And then we see that Jesus moves into uh, telling about the mission that they're going to be going on. And we looked at this last week that they're about to be on a mission. He says, okay, here's your principles. Here's what you need to do to be on mission for me. You need to abide in me. You need to remain in me. You need to stay with me. You need to be identified by your love for one another. It's actually the second time that he talks about how the disciples of Jesus will be identified by their love for one another. And then he ends it with reminding them they need to depend on him. This mission that you're about to go on, this mission that the disciples of Jesus are going to do, you can't do by yourselves. You need me to do this mission. And in this week, as Jesus continues his teaching, guess what he does now? He gives them a warning. Right? He's, he's going to go into one of the costs that it's going to cost you. It's going to cost the disciples as they follow Jesus. He gives them this warning, and he warns them that the world is going to hate you. And when we first think about that, we think of Jesus, and maybe we think of Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders walking in the garden. We think, how do you hate Jesus? Right? How do you hate Jesus' followers? But what we will see as we read the scriptures, as we learn about Jesus, is the more fully that we give ourselves to a life that is abiding to Jesus, a life that remains in Jesus, right? The richer our fellowship is with him. And our intimacy with him grows and it propels us to go further and further on this mission with him. The more that the gospel takes our own heart, it grabs our own heart, it straightens it. The more that we press on with this mission with God to make his glory known. And his grace comes to us in order that it may flow through us to those that are in our community and those that we know. It flows through us to reach others. And as those of us who have tasted the grace of God, we often find ourselves begging for more grace. God, show us more grace. Give us more. Give us more so that we can show others this grace. And we think, man, his grace is the sweetest thing in my life. Why would people not like this? Why would people hate this? But Jesus warns his disciples to prepare for the coming opposition, even the persecution from the world, simply for being his grace conduits, simply for receiving his grace and pushing that grace out to others. As the disciples will soon find out, and as many of you have already experienced in your life, there is often a strong opposition to God's grace in the world. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And when we look at God's grace, we see that it is disruptive before it is redemptive. Right? God's grace in our life, it destroys all forms that the world tries to teach us will help us. It destroys all forms of self-help and self 
salvation. It makes somebody who relies on his grace completely reliant on God. We have to die to ourselves. We just have to rely on the goodness of God. And really, when we look at history, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. We as humans like to think that we have the ability to save ourselves. Right? We like to think that if we work harder, sacrifice more, that if we be better, we'll be okay. Right? That will be good enough. If there's one thing that we've learned over the last 2,000 years is the world does not like to be told, you're not good enough. Right? You're a, a sinner. You have issues. And to make things worse, we say, you can't fix them by yourself. You need Jesus. And we find that this offends people. We find that this is a, offensive to the world. And thus, according to Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when we face hatred from the world when we are sharing the grace of Jesus with the world. Too often, we become scared about sharing the gospel of Jesus simply because we've faced that hatred before. We felt the opposition towards us, the uncomfortable situation that was created by telling somebody about their need for Jesus. Right? Sometimes it's not even because you're a sinner. Sometimes like that comfort, that emptiness that you're feeling can be filled by Jesus. Let me share Jesus with you. And we feel the evil eyes. We've even had people walk away in mid-sentence as we begin to bring up our love for Jesus, as we begin to teach people about Jesus. Sometimes people hate us before we even get a chance to share Jesus with them. Right? One of our friends says, oh, this person's a Christian, or this person loves Jesus, and the conversation ends. Let me share a, a couple examples with you in my own life. We moved into a house, and we got to the house before the moving truck did. And so we went to the park while we were waiting for the moving truck to show up. And we met some people, and we actually had a really good conversation with them. About 30 minutes, we're talking about them, what's going on, oh, welcome to the area, doing all that stuff. And then the guy says, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, these are really nice people, right? Hey, I'm a pastor at the church right down the street. They looked at me and said, you couldn't find someplace else to move, grabbed their dog, and left. Right? Welcome, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> right? Another time, we were at a birthday party with our kids, it was, it was for one of our kids' friends, and we're sitting there, and out in the backyard having a great time, great conversation. Guess what question comes up? So what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor at the church. Within about 15 minutes, I was the only person standing in the backyard, right? Everybody's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go find out what my kids are doing. I got to go do this. And they all just leave when they find out that you like Jesus. And here's the problem. I'm not the only one. But I've talked with many of you, I've seen many of you, we hear these stories time and time again, and as Christians, we sometimes find ourselves in this bad relationship with the world around us. Right? We so bad want to make this work, but the world keeps rejecting us. The world keeps saying no. As soon as we introduce Jesus to our friends or our community, or as soon as they find out that we love Jesus, they break up with us. Right? The world breaks up with us. We keep flirting, we're trying to date the world, but the world keeps breaking up with us, keeps breaking up with us. And then we start to look at ourselves and ask the question, what's wrong with me? Right, what is wrong with me? And this is a passage that we are going to look at today. And in this passage today, Jesus answers that question. And he provides us comfort. And ironically, that comfort comes through one of the worst breakup lines ever. It's not you, it's me. Right, it's not you, it's me. 
But unlike your high school sweetheart who told you that same thing, this time it really isn't you. Right? I promise. Not one of you laughed at the hello cuckoo at the home, huh? Okay, I apologize if that offended you. But this passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus warns his disciples about the hate, the animosity that will come towards them. And he sheds some light on why his disciples are hated by the world. And then he gives them some direction, some things that they can do to respond to this hatred. So let's read that passage and let's look at this. Let's say, yes, the the world is going to break up with you. But Jesus tells us, don't worry about it. It's not you, it's me. So we're going to be chapter uh, 15. We're going to begin in verse 18. And we're going to read through the chapter. Verse 18 begins. Jesus is speaking. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you and its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things that they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But, they, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And church, as we get started, and as we look at this passage, I just want to make sure we're on the same page, and I want to just clear up, clarify two things. Two things we're going to hear a lot about in this passage. One is we talk about the world, right? So I just want to define the world. When we talk about the world, we're talking about the people, the plans, the organizations, the activities, the philosophies, the values that belong to a society without God. So when we're talking about the world, we're talking about all of those things, That don't include God. Those who rebel against God. By definition, the world hates Jesus because it stands opposed to all that he is and all that he is doing. So that's when we talk about the world. Second, I want to talk about the word hate. This is the correct word to use. Sometimes we'll say things like, I hate tomatoes. Well, that's kind of strong. I don't hate tomatoes. I just don't like tomatoes. Right? I want to be really, really clear with you. John is really, really clear with you. He wants to be very, very clear that the world hates the disciples of Jesus in the strongest way. That the world hates the disciples of Jesus in the strongest way. Eight times in this passage, John uses the word that is translated to hate. And that word, when we look at it, it means despised. It means intensely disliked. Sometimes we see it translated as detest. Sometimes we see it as abhor. It is the strongest form of hate. John wants to be very, very clear That the world hates Jesus, and the world hates its disciples. So that that is clear. Jesus continues to to talk with Jesus, right? It's clear what the world is. But here's the good news. As much as the world hates us, Jesus says, hey, it's not you. It's me that they hate. 
it's not you, it's me that he hates, that the world hates. And so these three things, right? I want to look at these three things that the world hates. Jesus gives us three reasons that the world hates him and not us. First, the world hates the disciples of Jesus because of its hatred of Jesus. In less than 24 hours after making this statement, after teaching this, Jesus was arrested and convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was whipped. Then he was executed as a criminal. In just a few hours, the world was going to prove how much it hated Jesus. Not a lot has changed today. Today, out of the 195 countries in the world, 65 openly persecute Christians and another 46 are hostile towards Christians. That's 111 countries in the world today that openly persecute Christianity and are hostile towards Christians. That's almost, it's just short, of 60% of the countries in the world are hostile towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, why is this? Why don't people like the grace of Jesus? Well, first of all, Jesus offers a grace that provides freedom that no government can provide. Right? Jesus offers a grace that no government can provide. Jesus offers a grace that no individual can earn. Right? And Jesus offers a grace that brings life that only he can give. That only he can give. And as we look at the world, these are not things that the world's like. These are not things that countries like. These are not things that rich and powerful and influential people like. And Jesus says, listen, all you have to do is put your faith in me. All you have to do is recognize your need for a savior, recognize your sins, and know that that debt has been paid. Know that I have paid that debt. And oftentimes we think that that Christ, that Jesus' grace is free. Let's be clear here. Jesus' grace cost his son his life. Jesus' grace cost God the Father's son his life. Jesus gave his life. His grace is not free, but it is given freely. Right? His grace is given freely. And this goes against everything that the world teaches. Everything. They teach power, control, money, influence, self-help, prestige, titles, and toys. Right? This is how you gain freedom. This is how you gain salvation. It's in these things that you find life. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Those are all lies of the world. And as we look at Jesus' teaching, we actually find out that Jesus teaches the opposite. Right? He calls us out of the world to love him. He calls us out of the world to depend on him. He calls us out of the world to find life in him. And as disciples of Jesus, we belong to him. We don't belong to the world anymore. As he has called us out of the world, he has now called us to him. And we are now on team Jesus. Right? Our job now, our mission now is to reflect his glory, not the lies of the world. Right? When we join Team Jesus, we are now to reflect him to the world. As believers, we are a new creation. Right? Paul was writing the churches in Corinth. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? We no longer live for ourselves in this world. Now we live for Christ. The new in us, we live for Christ. The world doesn't understand this lifestyle. The world doesn't understand these things. And guess what happens when people don't understand? We mock, we ridicule, we make fun of. That's much easier than trying to actually understand what's going on. But here's the problem. When the thing that we don't understand threatens the things in life 
that we like most, threatens the thing in life that we pursue, threatens maybe the core of our life, we start to hate that thing. Right? We really start to hate that thing. And that lack of understanding leads to, leads to a deep hatred. Under Roman rule, Christians were often called haters of humanity. That's how the Romans referred to Christians. And these were Christians who were pursuing God over themselves. They were trying to follow the words and teachings of Jesus. And this changed their lives. Their lives no longer looked like those around them. They stopped practicing the hedonistic pagan rituals of the Romans. Right? No more orgies, no more drunken debauchery, no more senseless killings for pure enjoyment. And the world around them hated them. Right? The world around them looks and says, what's wrong with these people? They must be haters of humanity. They don't like the fleshly things that we are pursuing. But when Christ calls us out of the world, we are no longer live for ourselves or for human passions, but we only live for the will of God. That is what we are to do. That's what our lives are to display. Peter tells us, for the first time, that it's past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, right? For this time, for this time. He is saying, you've spent enough time doing the things that the Gentiles want to do. You've spent enough time living for yourselves. Right? He says, for the time that it's past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they will malign you. Right? Peter talked about this 2,000 years ago. Theologian D.A. Carson, he wrote this, Former rebels who have by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Let me give you a modern day example of this. I want you to think about Jock Peterson, for example. Right? A Northern California professional baseball player who played for the Dodgers. He helped them win several of his National League titles or several of their National League titles. He was on their team when they won the World Series in 2020. Some of you might remember the chants at the Dodger Stadium. Jocktober! Jocktober! For all the home runs that he hit in the playoffs in the World Series. However, after they win the World Series, he gets signed with a new team. He gets traded, right? And by the grace of God, he ends up with the San Francisco Giants. And as he walks out of the visitor dugout, what do the fans who once cheered him do now? They boo him, right? They boo him and ridicule him. And let me just prove my point. Last, uh, so Isaac turns, my oldest son turned 16 today. Yesterday we had a party for him. One of his friends hadn't said five words the whole night. So we're sitting there, we're watching the Giants game. Jacques Peterson comes up the bat. This kid who hasn't said a word, he sits in and he goes, I hate this guy, I hope he strikes out, traitor. Right? <laughs> That's all this guy says simply because he went to a new team. Well, as followers of Christ, guess what? You've changed teams. Right? You no longer play on team world. You're now on team Jesus. And guess what happens when you come to the plate? Guess what happens when you come to the field? Man, fans of the world boo and hiss and ridicule and mock you and they hate you. And Jesus takes this time to re remind his disciples as they are in the garden or walking through the garden. He says, hey guys, the world's going to hate you. Just remember, it's not you they hate, it's me. It's not you they hate, it's me. And then he gives them a second reason that the disciples are going to hate him, that disciples of Jesus are going to be hated. 
In verses 21 25, it says it's because of their hatred for the Father. Right? Through his words, Jesus revealed the glory of the Father to a lost and broken world. And guess what happens when the Father's glory is shined in our hearts? Guess what happens when the Father's glory is where we walk? Man, our sins are exposed. There's no hiding from this, right? The full ugliness of our hearts, they become on full display for those who belong to Jesus. This is actually a show of God's grace in our lives. It's actually when he reveals those things to us, it leads us to repentance. It leads us to the the cross. It leads us to Jesus. And we see this as a demonstration of his love. We see this as a demonstration of his grace. We see that he refuses to leave us in our selfish and ambitious and sinful desires. But he wants to take us to a greater spot. He's proving that he loves us and that he has greater desires for us to be stuck where we are. He has hopes and dreams that we will be with him, that we'll be in his presence, that we will be in the heavenly choir that sings holy, holy, holy forever. That his praises would just begin to come off our lips. However, if you've not submitted to the grace and the love of the Father... Then Jesus' works and Jesus' words, they just do one thing. They reveal your, your ugliness in your life. And instead of you addressing your sin, you hate the thing that reveals that ugliness. You hate the thing. You don't come in repentance. You come in anger. There's a Bible teacher, H.A. Ironside. He told this story about a missionary in Africa. And one day the wife of this tribal chief comes by the mission house. And outside the mission house there was a tree. And on that tree hanged this piece of glass or this mirror and as the the tribal chief's wife walked by she caught a glimpse in the mirror and for the first time she saw her face she saw her face paint she saw scars she saw hardened features of her face and she asked the missionary who is that horrible person in the tree looking at me and the missionary responded that that glass is reflecting your face that's you that's who you're looking at and the African woman, she, she said, I, I need to have that glass. I will pay anything for that. I need to have that. And the missionary didn't want to sell it. It was the, the only mirror that this missionary had. They, they fought with her, but insisting that it was, or afraid that it was going to cause trouble with the tribe and the people that she was witnessing to. The, the tribal chief kept insisting, so he sold her the mirror. And as soon as it was hers, the, the wife, the tribal chief's wife, took that mirror, looked at herself, and then threw it on the ground and smashed it. Smashed it in just little pieces and said, I will never have that thing making faces at me again. I will never have that thing making faces at me again. And this is how the world responds when sin is revealed in their life. Right? They don't address the sin. They address the thing that is showing them the sin. Right? Instead of turning to the Father and seeking the grace that is found in Jesus, the world lashes out at Christians. Right? Christians by, who by the grace of God, nothing of their own, but just by the grace of God that have read the scriptures, that have given their life to Jesus, are doing their best to follow Jesus, doing their best to be disciples of Jesus. And in doing so, they're revealing the glory of the Father, which exposes the guilt and the, sh- the shame of those that are around them. And oftentimes, that response is to a attack with hate, the one who is shining the light of Christ in the dark hearts of their own hearts. Right, as God's glory is revealed, as God's glory is shown into the darkest hearts of hearts, the world's response is to hate that that is shown into those hearts. And as they lash out at Christians with anger and with hatred, Jesus says, hey, it's not you. 
It's me. And then he gives them this third example. The third example why the world hates the disciples of Jesus is because of the hatred of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the disciples with the power of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the glory of God. It's to reveal the glory uh, of God to the world. And the Spirit will testify, pointing back to the finished works, pointing back to the words of Jesus, the glory of Father. And this reveals Jesus as the Savior. It reveals to the world its need for a Savior. It reveals to the world that all, to include you, have fallen short of the glory of God and you need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit's words testify the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to talk a whole lot more about this. Uh, We're going to talk about how we are equipped for our mission and how Christians can stand in the midst of the world's hatred because of the special ministries of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that next week. But for now, for now, I just want you to know that the world hates the message that the Holy Spirit brings. And it hates the messenger. That's right. It hates the messenger. And if you are a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you are sharing the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, guess what? You're a messenger. And guess what? The world hates that message. That world hates that message. And for the third time, Jesus says, the world is going to hate you, but no. It's not you. It's me. It's not you. It's me. And as we read through this passage, we have to say, why does Jesus spend so much time warning us that the world is going to hate us? And it's not because of us, but it's because of him. Why does Jesus keep telling us? Why is he beating us into the ground? It's the awesome part about scripture. We keep reading, we get answers. Right? So if we read in chapter 16, and we're going to read just the beginning of chapter 16, beginning of verse 1, Jesus says, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away, that they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when Whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when uh, their hour comes, you may remember that I told you, told them to you. That I told them to you. There's two primary reasons that I believe Jesus talks to the disciples. I believe Jesus says, hey, this is coming. And the first one is very clear. It's to prevent disciples from falling away right the the greatest danger when we face persecution is not necessarily to reject jesus but to fall away from jesus right that we don't know how to act that we don't know how to respond that we just get nervous and we just say you know what when we start to just drift away they slow drift they slow trade and we start to falling away right we get convinced that this temporary life is more valuable than jesus we say, you know what, this, this embarrassment, this thing, um, it's not worth it, right? When somebody said I was going to be a Christian, they promised me butterflies and gumdrops, right? I thought this was going to be super easy. I thought this was going to be really simple. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? Following Jesus is a far, far cry from the prosperity of the, the, the prosperity gospel, right? Our, our goal is not the health and wealth of this world. When we look at Scripture, it does not teach that at all. I mean, for example, just look at the disciples, Of the remaining 11 disciples, church history tells us that 10 of them were martyred. That 10 of them were killed for their faith. Right? That 11th one is John. He's the author of the gospel that we're reading. 
right? He, he wasn't a martyr, not because they didn't try. Several times they tried. They, they put him in a vat of boiling oil thinking he was going to die. He didn't. Right? They took him in, in his bad shape and they dropped him off on the island of Patmos thinking he's going to die. He didn't. Right? They, they tried to make him a martyr, but for whatever reason, he didn't. When we look at Paul, we know that Paul was executed for his faith. We know John Wycliffe, he was a translator of the Bible. He got the Bible to more people. He expanded those that could read the Bible for themselves. Guess what happened to him because of his faith? Burned at the stake. Right? What, what about Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot goes to South America to spread the gospel. He gets out of a plane, gets speared to death for his faith. Karen Watson, a missionary here from California, one that we've raised a fund for to train other missionaries. Karen Watson from California gets gunned down in Iraq because of her faith. And what about you? Right? The fact that you're sitting here, I'm going to make the assumption that you have not given your life because of your faith. But what about family relationships? Have they been hurt? What about relationships in your community with your friends? Have they been hurt? Have you had to sacrifice them? What about job positions? Maybe even job promotions? Have you had to deal with that persecution? And Jesus says, hey, it's coming. Don't give up. Here, Jesus warns us that we're going to be tested, that we're going to be persecuted. Right? In, in some form, in some way, when you are speaking the gospel, when you are sharing the grace of Jesus, Jesus promises us, tells us that you're going to be persecuted, that you're going to face dangers. And he encourages us, don't fall away. Jesus is better. Right? No matter what you are doing, no matter what the world promises you, do not fall away. Jesus is better. Jesus warns us that we'll be hated. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed, right? Just knowing what is coming helps prepare us for the fight. Just knowing what is coming. If disciples understand that the world's hostility is directed primarily at Jesus, then we are better equipped to persevere. We are better equipped to remain in him, right? And as we learn from G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle, right? So now you know, and knowing is half the battle. We are to persevere in our faith. Peter, Peter teaches us that, and pay attention to this because Peter is a greater source than G.I. Joe the cartoon, but pay attention to this. Peter tells us in chapter 4 verse 12 of 1 Peter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Church, when we are facing persecution, when we are facing hostility, when the world is trying to break up with us, don't shift your focus to the world. Don't shift your focus to yourself. Don't fall into some pit like self-despair. Don't fall into a pit of just self-pity. Don't fall into the trap of just focusing on yourself. Instead, rejoice that his glory may be revealed in your suffering. Rejoice in the fact that in your suffering, somebody is seeing the glory of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that I think he encourages us to remember. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. And that we can rejoice in his suffering knowing that his glory is being revealed. Here's the second one. Make sure it's Jesus they hate, not you. 
right? Make sure it's Jesus they hate, not you. When, when the disciples were walking with Jesus, there was this tangible person that was walking next to him. Nobody pushed Jesus out of the way to get to Matthew or one of the other disciples. Their anger was directed solely at Jesus. There was never any question that the hatred of the world, there was never any question about the hatred of the leaders of who they hated. They hated Jesus. And so while people's hatred might be directed at us, if we are following Jesus, we're not the ultimate target. Jesus is. Be more concerned about following Jesus than seeking the world's hatred. For some reason, Christians have fallen into this trap that if the world hates us, I must be following Jesus well. That's not true. Right? The world has this unique ability to hate everybody for any reason. Right? Don't make yourself special. Don't think you're an ultimate Christian. Don't think you're being a good Christian because you made the world hate you. That's not how it works. Yes, 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 it is an honor. It is one of the greatest honors in the world to suffer for the name of Christ. That is not a secret, and that is true. However, it's a shame. It's one of the greatest shames in the world when you suffer because you're a jerk and you blame it on following Jesus. That's a problem. That is an issue. Right? Peter goes on to say in, in chapter 4, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen to this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a, a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, right, somebody who's following Jesus, let him not be ashamed, but let the glory of God, but let him glorify God in that name. Folks, you've heard this before. The, the, the message of the gospel is offensive enough. You don't need to be offensive. Right? You don't need to be a jerk yourself. To present the gospel honestly, we must tell somebody that they are a sinner, that they will one day be judged and stand before a, a holy God. But the offense of the gospel is a part of a greater message of God's plan. Right? It doesn't just stop there. Because when we read scripture, we always got that but. Right? There's something more important. Right? The, the greater message of God's plan is to welcome sinners into his family because of the sacrifice of his son. Right? It doesn't just stop with that person being a sinner. It stops with that person being reconciled to the Father. Right? Our kindness and our gentleness and our mercy and our grace in sharing the gospel demonstrates the gospel. Right? And it puts that offense of somebody being a sinner into the greater context of God's invitation to be reconciled, to be made right, to be saved, to be healed, to be forgiven, to have life. It puts all of that in the context of being reconciled through Jesus. Church, know that when you show the world the grace of God, right, the grace that he has shown you, just know the world is going to hate you. Jesus tells you that. But know it is not you, it is Jesus that it hates. Don't let the hatred of the world pursue you, right, to, to persuade you or to, to make you think you are doing something wrong. Jesus says, man, the world's going to hate you. Deal with it. Right? There's a shirt out right now. It says embrace the suck. I'm not, I don't care about what the world thinks. I care about following Jesus. I care about pursuing Jesus. And if the world's going to hate me for following Jesus, that's their problem, not mine. Right? But I need to make sure when I'm following Jesus that it's Jesus they hate, not me because I'm a jerk. 
But that's not the gospel. That is not showing the grace, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness that God has shown you. We're not doing that. Right? When we are called out of this world, we are called to Jesus. When we are called out of this world, we are called to Jesus and to reflect his glory and his love and his mercy and his grace. And in the, the midst of the world's hatred, don't cease to persevere in following Jesus. Don't start thinking this is too hard, this is never going to work. I don't know when this is going to end, so I'm just going to give up. Jesus says it's going to happen. It's going to happen until you're standing before Jesus. Just deal with it. Right? You've got the Holy Spirit living in you that is more powerful than anything the world is going to throw at you. Don't fall for the lies of the world. Right In the midst of the world's hatred, don't cease to persevere in following Jesus. Here's the goal. Do the opposite. Right? In the midst of the hatred, run to Jesus more. Seek Jesus' love more. Depend on his grace more. Right? Be conduits of his grace to the, the world. Continue to show his love and his grace to the world. And in everything you do, make sure that it's about him and not you. In everything you do, make sure it is about him and not you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, just for this morning. We thank you for this word, Lord, that when we open this word, when we study this word, and the truth that you reveal to us, how you settle our hearts, Lord, may we just pray that our hearts would become um, more dependent on you, right? that our, our heart would hear these things, and when the world hates us because of you, we know that you are being glorified, and that would bring us joy. Lord, we just pray that as we go into the world, and our feelings get hurt, our hearts get broken, that it would draw us closer to you, that we would run to you, that we would manifest your grace to the very ones that hate us, that somehow, Lord, you would use us, that you would work through us to make your glory known in our homes, to make your glory known in our workplaces, to make your glory known in our communities. Lord, we just pray that in our lives that it would be about you, that it wouldn't be because of us, but that everything in our lives would be about you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's gracious name of Jesus. And we ask all of these things and all of God's people said.